Welcome to the Auxiliary Chamber, the International Law Podcast. Welcome everyone to the second episode of the Auxiliary Chamber. I'd like to thank everyone for their continued support. For today's episode, I'm here with another LUC third year IJ student, Oscar Fein. Hello. We're going to be talking about Oscar's capstone topic. And would you maybe like to introduce yourself, who you are, and maybe talk, tell us a little bit about your capstone topic? Yeah, of course, of course. So I'm a third year IJ major at Leiden University College, and I am doing a minor in internet law at Leiden University as well. Um, and because I did a minor in internet law, I thought I wanted my capstone topic to be somewhat related to internet or cyberspace or law. Um, so I came up with the, with my research question, which has to do with the spread of COVID-19 misinformation. Um, and my research question is, to what extent does international law provide a framework for holding social media platforms accountable for the spread of COVID-19 misinformation? Awesome. So that's going to be our topic today. Right. Yeah, I'm very, very glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. Thank you. I thought we could maybe start with a quote, a quote that I found when I was doing research for this, which says that we're not just fighting an epidemic, we're fighting an infodemic. Fake news spreads faster and more easily than this virus. It's just that dangerous. This was said by the WHO Secretary General on February 15th of 2020. That's a whole year ago. Yeah. Well, I don't know about you, but at the time, I was not involved with Corona. I didn't think it was a thing, to be honest. I was not thinking about my capstone topic either, but I guess here we are a year later. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting for me because right now, of course, we're a year in Corona. And my research started somewhere in October 2020. Back then, there was literally no no research whatsoever on this topic. And now in March, actually, there's a lot of more research coming in as I'm writing. So that's, uh, that's very positive for my research. It's probably positive for your research, but it's probably a bad sign for, <laughs> yeah, for the rest of us. Definitely. So maybe to talk a bit more about what we're going to be talking about today, I think that we could maybe start by explaining a few elements. Obviously, misinformation and this whole movement around it also brings up ideas of fake news and those type of elements. Could you maybe talk about how your capstone will put them? What scope will it look at that? Yeah, so misinformation as a, as a thing has been known uh, for a very long time, but it became most familiar uh, in the 2016 um, elections in the United States, where there was a lot of fake news and everyone kept saying fake news this, fake news that. Um, so ever since then, I've been very much interested in what fake news really is how it works, um, yeah, and uh, the role that social media has uh, in how it spreads. So in my research, I found that misinformation can be, well, no, actually not misinformation, but there's three different kinds of false information. So you have misinformation, which is content that is false, so it's not true, but it's not intended to harm anyone. So you either spread something because you think it's true or you don't have any intention of harming someone, that's misinformation. Um, so this can be satire, can also be clickbait, just uh, random misleading quotes or images. Then there is content that is false, but intended to harm, um, which is called disinformation. Um, so this can be fabricated content or manipulation campaigns uh, by a lot of, uh, well, politicians often are involved in this. And then finally, there is truthful information, but it's used for causing harm, um, which is malinformation. What, what, what falls under the last like definition is a bit difficult to describe um, because how can you harm someone with information that's just true? But there's probably a lot of instances where information can harm people, even if it's true. 
Um, so that's also what I'm looking into with my uh, with my capstone. Like, to what extent is COVID nineteen misinformation actually harmful for the general public? Um, one of the biggest examples that we see nowadays is the dangers of fake cures. Like Donald Trump, for example, he tweeted that there was a um, a remedy available, but it turned out it was not a remedy for COVID. Actually, it was just a random. Uh, medicine that did not have any effect on COVID, but the sales of that medicine that he prescribed increased in 2,000%. 2,000% is insane. And then also there was a rumor in Iran that said that bootleg alcohol or some kind of methanol killed COVID virus, and the sales of the alcohol in that country also went up by an insane number. And it did put around 500 people in the hospital, and, and some people actually died from this. Yeah, it's it's very very creepy, really, um, the effects that these fake cures can have, and but there's also, um, of course, the distrust in the government and the distrust in science. If the government doesn't know what they're doing, a lot of people tend to get anxious, and a lot of people tend to get very angry at the government, um, which also, as a consequence, can lead to incitement to protests, which are often not even COVID-proof, not wearing masks, getting together in closed groups and sometimes also violence. Yeah, yeah, that sounds very interesting. Because obviously we're an international law podcast, right. and we're both IJ majors, and your capstone is a legal one, maybe we could talk a little bit about the legal elements of this. What, what should we actually think about when we think of the legal obligations regarding to social media or to fake news and, and media in general? Um, for me, when I think about law, law is about prohibiting things. Law is about making things legal, but also about making things illegal. And for, some, for misinformation to be illegal, it has to be connected to something that is harmful in, in the eyes of society, in the eyes of the government, whatsoever. So it has to be uh, harmful as a concept. So if you look at Facebook, for example, Facebook is a community service. It provides a service to a bunch of different people online for social networking. And it has community rules or, yeah, terms of service, basically. If you download the app Facebook, you get a whole bunch of rules and lists full of words that no one really reads because it's way too long and way too complex. It's probably designed in that way, to be honest. Honestly, yeah, probably. Because if they don't read the, um, the terms of service, then Facebook reserves all the rights to do whatever they want, basically. Um, so what happens is if... Facebook sees a tweet, or a tweet, that doesn't make sense. If we see, uh, if you post a message on Facebook saying COVID-19 is not real, Facebook has to decide, does this go against our community standards? Is there, an, do you know if there's an active monitoring process or are they more hands-off? Um, I think they primarily used to be hands-on, uh, but due to COVID-19 restrictions, there's less people working at Facebook's office and at the moderator's office, uh, which means they've mostly reserved to automation. So there's algorithms checking all messages, and that basically um, decides whether or not your message gets banned or not. So the legal obligations for a company like Facebook are their own? Yeah. They're their own terms of services? Yeah. As they're providing a service. It's free for us, actually. You can download the app for free. So they can decide whether or not your messages can go through or not. And that's actually according to the company's rules. 
Um, and this is what they call content moderation, where a platform um, can moderate the content that is on their own platform because of their own rules. So then are there any rules or are there any international guidelines that monitor a company like Facebook themselves? Or is there anything that they need to really keep themselves to? Um, sadly, not really. I've studied international justice for three years now, and I can say that even for states, international law is a very fragile topic, and it's not very uh, binding as much as we would like it to be. And even for uh, third parties or companies, international law is mostly concerned with states and with individuals. There's the ICC that convicts criminals, there is the ICJ that convicts states, but there's nothing for companies. And now what does exist is a... They're called the UN Guiding Principles on Human Rights and Businesses. On Businesses and Human Rights, sorry. And it's basically a recommendation or a report that was made into a big piece of text. And that is now kind of the standard what, what businesses and human rights kind of have to work with. But it's funny that that's only limited to human rights, right? There's no criminal law that dictates that, that companies should do this or that. Uh, it specifically targets human rights. Okay, so you would consider most of the legal framework to be to fall under this type of human rights category. When looking at this human rights framework, so it's obviously the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights and the International Covenant on Economic and Social and Cultural Rights. Do you have a bit more idea of where this fake news, where this misinformation falls underneath? So when if we look at these two covenants, I think the ICCPR is more relevant um, because in this covenant, actually, the human right to freedom of expression is laid down okay. in Article 19. And it states that everyone shall have the right to hold opinions without interference as a first article. But moreover, it says everyone shall have the right to freedom of expression. And this includes the freedom to seek, receive and impart information of all kinds. So you are free to spread whatever information you have and whether it does not contain if this is misinformation, then you're acting illegally. Like, it does not contain any of that. So it's up to, well, basically states and up to the businesses themselves to decide what should and what should not be uh, imparted as information. Okay. It's obviously interesting to look at the, at the same article, which gives the only five grounds within which it can be restricted. These are national security, public order, public health, morals, and the rights and reputations of others. So these are the only ways and reasons why our freedom of expression could be limited. Right. Do you think that these apply in any way to uh, COVID misinformation? Well, as you just said, like um, states are able to restrict this freedom of expression in the uh, name of public health. And I think COVID-19 is one of the biggest public health crises that we've faced in a very long time, especially uh, on a global scale. Only problem is... Social media platforms, as I just said, have their own terms of services. So these terms of services, you say, do you think that they supersede this international law? Definitely not. Well, they shouldn't. But sadly, that's kind of what happens, right? Because Facebook does not have human rights legislation in their terms of services. It does not exist. Do you think that then... When we look at countries, we look at countries like Myanmar, who have a direct relationship with Facebook and who are able to directly tell them what type of content to post and what type of content not to post. Do you think then, in a way, 
Facebook is being impacted by the laws of Myanmar? And do you think that they take that into consideration? Because then would that not be a way where if, let's say, the Netherlands were to decide that this was a legal obligation that must be upheld, it could uphold it that way? Well, if yeah, if you take the example of Myanmar, um, if Myanmar says this uh, criticism of our government should not be on Facebook, take it off, then it's Facebook decision. Do we want do we want to listen to this or do we ignore this risking that we lose all the internet users of Facebook in the whole country and as a business that's just not good business for Facebook so often uh, what I believe they decide is to listen to the state's uh, wishes which sadly leads to a lot of people getting misinformation and only seeing propaganda which is also not really allowed under human rights law but then again is that really applicable in this cyberspace? I think, if it's all right with you, I might look a little bit more at the EU here. Yeah. When we're looking at how these services are maybe regulated within the EU, a lot of the times we have to look at the EU Electronic Commercial Directive, which was published in 2000, and which is one of the main ways that uh, liability is also governed under the EU, especially when looking at social media companies. So one of the main distinctions that we have to make is that there's this argument that Facebook is merely a hosting service, a hosting service of information where it is deemed to be a neutral party in the exchange of information. This is important because Article 14 of this Council Directive, which must be transposed into national governments, states that when information is stored in a, on a service, that service provider is not liable for the information stored there, which means that if there is actual illegal activity the only way that a company could be held liable for it is if it has direct notice of it and then doesn't take it down. So something like if we apply that to Facebook, if I were to post something, COVID misinformation, let's say that would be illegal. The only reason that Facebook could be held liable is if they are pointed towards it and then don't take it off. Right. This was expanded upon in EU case law quite recently. And this has caused a really big conversation about whether or not these laws are applicable to the EU anymore, especially now in 20 years. And it found that the, the European Court of Justice found that these service providers have to be neutral. They have to have a purely, merely technical, automatic and passive way to this information. So do you think that Facebook really would still fall under that type of definition? Do, are we allowed to call Facebook a hosting service? Or is, it more, or is it much more of an active participant in this exchange of information? I would say that I don't think that they would be a hosting service because it really depends on how you look at it, right? Because as you just said, the provider must have knowledge on uh, the illegal information. And often these companies do. For example, Twitter has adapted their notion of harm to more comply with COVID safety. Um, so content that is now harmful, considered harmful is also COVID misinformation to some degree that directly has an impact on this and that. And if Facebook would, would do the same, then they would definitely take immediate action on the information that is flowing through their website. And what I also said is they rely a lot on automation and they don't have a lot of moderators anymore due to COVID restrictions to actually look at all this data and to go through it if you say that it's a neutral service because it has automation, then yes, they probably do. But because Facebook does still remain a business that is out for profit, 
I would not say it's a neutral service because it will always prioritize its own profits over the safety of its users. Okay, I think that's a crucial point that you mentioned there, this, this for-profit mentality. Do you think that this for-profit mentality is in any way alignable with, let's say, human rights? Because I think you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the way that I interpret what we've been talking about is that we see this legal framework or this international law framework that you were looking for for your capstone seems to fall purely under the human rights yeah. category. Do you think that that really, does that align with profit businesses? Definitely. One of the things that the ICCPR also makes illegal, basically, is slavery, which is also for profit. So, yeah, fair point. Yeah, that's, that's where, human, yeah, that's that's where human rights came from, right? You yeah. have to protect the humans that you use as a business. I can work uh, 80 hours per week for a business, but that is not good for me. That's very derogatory for my health. The company should be held liable either by the state or by the international community uh, to some degree. And I think that businesses that are out for profit often disregard the human rights aspect of their workers. I think nowadays the human rights standards that most businesses apply are very much better than they used to be, but we still have a long way to go, especially if we look at uh, misinformation and harmful content on Facebook and other social media platforms. Then maybe to, to kind of round off this, this conversation specifically about uh, the social media companies, do you think that from your research, and obviously you're still in preliminary research for your capstone, but do you think that this legal frame that we have right now should it be modified or should it be should we come up with a whole new different one? Because when I did my own research, I found I came across this argument that I had mentioned to you before, written in the Yale Journal, where an author specifically made the argument that the human rights frameworks of the ICCPR, we should make those specifically apply to social media companies. We shouldn't come up with our own new restrictions. We should try and make those and modify them to be applicable. What do you think of which approach you think is a little bit better? Personally, I believe it is um, very easy to think that we can just modify some international law, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. I do not myself know any instances where um, international law statutes or any agreements or treaties were like changed just to adapt to one specific thing. Um, and especially because the cyber domain is such a niche area of international law that I, I, I believe we need a more cyber-based uh, legislation because I actually um, I took a course on the, re the regulation of the internet and I read this very interesting article by Lawrence Lessig who wrote um, that there are four modalities of regulation which is one law two architecture, three norms, and four market. And what we see now is mostly the market is dominant with regard to Facebook and how they treat their users. But law is very much overlooked in that sense. So if we could come up with an international like legislation on uh, the cyber domain, amazing. That would be my choice. But I do agree that it's probably easier to adapt. Going off that article that you just mentioned then, if we want to take those four pillars and we want to make law more important, what do you think in your mind would be the most applicable way to do that? If we create this new new treaty body, what would that be created under? Would be would it be a multinational, multilateral treaty between different states? Or would it more need to be something like the different covenants that we have nowadays? I think 
if it, it would have to be a completely different area because the problem is we have all these treaties right now. We have criminal court, we have covenants about uh, cultural rights and economic rights, but those are all real world things that we now use to apply to the cyber domain. But the cyber domain is a whole other world where people can trade, people can, basically people can do whatever they can in the real world, but then from behind the screen. And to regulate that better, it would need its own regulation. But the internet was created to not be regulated. That's what the, 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 the first users of the internet said, we cannot be regulated. We are a free society and we do not, you, you don't have laws over us. We control ourselves, which is a very utopian idea of the internet. But with the amount of negative content that is on there right now, I believe that serious regulation is needed to protect people's health and more, more importantly, people's safety, especially in the context of a COVID pandemic. Okay, and then maybe my last question for today would be in this idea that you have, would you focus it on social media companies specifically or more country jurisdictions that must then also apply to social media companies that want to work in those areas? Well, because the cyber domain doesn't really have borders, it is very difficult to make it a nationwide, like an, a, a national thing, right? If you adopt in every state different laws, that's going to be a mess. Then people are going to have to move to Germany, for example, to post one thing, then they can move back. It's, it's very difficult to make that. So it has to be a global thing, which is, of course, very idealistic. But I, I like to be a bit optimistic when it comes to international law. Well, that's good. I think that, I think that maybe we can end the conversation there. Yeah. And, and I think we can maybe end it by looking forward to having this discussion in five years with our new, with our new expert. Right. I, I will let you know when my capstone is done and when I have uh, more substantial information on, uh, on COVID-19 uh, misinformation on social media platforms. All right. Looking forward to it. I'd like to thank you, Oscar, for coming on and being our second guest and everyone who's listened so far. There'll be many more exciting episodes coming out every two weeks on Friday. You can find them on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If anybody would like to, following them there or leaving a review on those platforms really, really helps. So that'd be greatly appreciated. Everyone, please keep an eye out for next episode, which is going to be coming out on the 16th of April, where we'll be focusing around international law, specifically within data protection and privacy. Lastly, I'd once again like to thank Fedor Zuchenko from The Plutocrats for the music you hear in this podcast. Thank you everyone for listening and talk to you guys soon.